Welcome to Spotlight Conversations with voice talent and DJ Donna Reed. Donna talks music and media from her sunny linoleum-free studio. Come on in. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Spotlight Conversations. I'm Donna. I talk to people in music and media. I find out interesting things. I ask questions. Most of the time, they, most of the time I get an interesting answer. If you want to find out more about the podcast, I do voiceover work. I write in a blog. I do all kinds of different creative things. Go to SpotlightConversations.com. Everything is there that you need to know. Today's guest is a Burkhart Abrams consultant known in the radio industry as Dwight Douglas, and he has consulted many radio stations. He worked, I just found this out just today, he worked with Fred Rogers on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, one of his first jobs on the TV show. I'm going to talk about that today. He's written several books, one of which is called Mashed Potatoes, Cancer, COVID, and Comfort Food. He is in perfect health now, but The last year was really tough for him. It was tough for all of us. He's going to talk about what he went through. Also, he's written another book called How to Hire Great People, Tips, Tricks, and Templates for Success. And let me just ask you, are you you still kind of consulting a little? I will consult a cup of coffee if I'm called upon. (laughs) You're also a well-regarded author. Uh, a couple of books that I was just taking a look at. Um, one is Cancer, COVID, and Comfort Food, but it's also called Mashed Potatoes. Is that right? Yes, that's oh. the title. And then the subtitle is Cancer, COVID, and Comfort Food. And there's a whole bunch of other books you've written. DwightDouglas.com, that's your website, which it's great. How'd you nab that website? Because I'm sure there are a lot of Dwight Douglases out there. Well, I'm so old that, you know, I was uh, during World War II, I was able to get all the URLs, the, the web addresses that I wanted. So, oh, please. No, there are some it's like I have a, a com- an old comedy website that I had, wackotv.com. And so people said, oh, you should do a comedy uh, website. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to do this. If I can get that website, wackotv, wacko spelled with an H, I will do it. And unfortunately, it was available. I got it. And then the rest is history. I spent 10 years, 400 comedy videos are still up there. And my kids say, hey, dad, even after you're dead, you'll be embarrassing us. And I said, yeah, but if I don't if I don't pay for the uh, website and they said, dad, all the videos are on YouTube. I was like, oh, that's right. They'll be there forever. So that was one of my other endeavors in webbage. Wacko TV. I went to your bio. And before we get to your books, I wanted to find out you worked with Mr. Rogers. Is that right? Yes. When I was in uh, college, um, I got a job at the WQED TV, Channel 13 in Pittsburgh, as a a Telecine uh, film slide person. Back then, you used slides instead of for all the supers on the news programs and, and whatever you wanted to do. They were just slides of the white letters on a black slide and they would just fade them up over the top of whatever program they were doing. And then obviously there were lots of film that was used for Rogers when he would go on location or whatever else. So my job was during the production actually hitting the button that inserted those into the uh, program. So that was fun. That was about a year and a half of work. So that was tech work, but then you went to do more creative stuff. So was Mr. Rogers, was he instrumental in you being very creative or 
No, I, I the Mr. Rogers' experience for me was less technical and more creative because I also worked on the newsroom program. Oh, okay. And so, so it was great. It was it's kind of funny an educational TV station being quite educational for me. I learned how to put together a news program, uh, how to do assignments and with the reporters and things. So that was just as educational as Rogers. Rogers was more learning that he would go up into the mountains every summer and write all those scripts out on legal pads and bring them down like <laughs> Moses from the mountain and give them to the, the ladies who would then type up uh, all these scripts for all the shows that, that you see on TV. So for me, I, I also learned the regimen and discipline that was needed to put together that kind of show. So yeah, it was a great time. And the only reason I left there is to get a bigger, better radio gig at DBE in Pittsburgh. So that was my my graduation from TV. The Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood movie, is it very much the way he was? Yes, and it's very emotional. I saw it here at a film festival. And um, it's one of those things where if you were there, you remember all those things that happened and all the, mm. all the challenges because, you know, Sesame Street had started. Mm -hmm. And so there was this big sort of uh, dueling banjos between Sesame Street, is that better for the kids than Rogers? Is Rogers less realistic and too uh, sentimental? You know, Sesame Street was pretty much on the, on the street teaching people how to spell and... Mm -hmm talk and logic and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was an interesting time for educational TV, that's for sure. And then you're into radio. You start at radio. Were you on the air? Did you consult? What was the yeah, first I, thing you did after Mr. Rogers? I, I was really a bad DJ. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons why I ended up in management is people were like, you know, your voice is kind of bad. But can't, we'll make you the program director. We'll get you off the air. That'll be important for the radio station. So you programmed. So, yes, I was a programmer. And uh, I programmed DVE. And then I went to Washington. I spent some time at 13Q in Pittsburgh as a creative production director. Then I went to D, uh, uh, DC 101 mm -hmm. as a program director. And then after DC 101, I was hired by Burkhard Abrams to be a consultant. So pretty much shot for, from guns. Or from a gun. Uh, what was it like working at Burkhardt Abrams at that time? I, I think that the consulting firm was so powerful and so big and so famous and infamous as well because the music people hated the fact that these four or five guys sitting in, a, in an office in Atlanta could control what music went on all these hundreds of radio stations. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of the coin, I didn't just work music. I worked news stations. I worked all kinds of different formats. When I first started at Burkhardt Abrams, I was running around the country putting disco stations on the air. So, I mean, you know, the breadth of experience uh, within that firm was was pretty amazing. And also did TV shows. We did uh, we did a uh, Abrams was consulting MTV while I was consulting uh, Turner Broadcasting. Uh, they had a show called Night Tracks or something. Mm -hmm. I forget. Mm -hmm. But anyway, doing music videos was another diversion and all kinds of different things that we did. So it was a very fun uh, time, decades worth. Are you still in contact with Lee Abrams? Yes. As a matter of fact, I just watched one of his seminars, one of his video seminars about uh, 10 days ago. And it was interesting because it was like going back in time and hearing mm -hmm. the same speech. I mean, another great speech. But uh, he's doing all kinds of interesting consulting and thing with TV stations and 
and radio and sound and everything. So that's good. And uh, Ken Burkhardt is my father-in-law, my ex-father-in-law, I guess, because I'm not married to his daughter anymore. But uh, yes, we have a great connection with that with them. I mean, I'm part of their family. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, how do you view consultants today? We have so much information available. Well, I, I think consultants are part of life. I, I've never been negative about people that were smart to be able to make more money by doing the same job with many industries or many entities. So um, I see the TV consultants. It's funny how much the TV news formats are the same because they're using the same consultant. It's very obvious mm. the, the format and the pattern or whatever. But um, I, I don't I have to admit something that when I left Atlanta, I went to work with RCS, the selector software oh, yeah. company, mm-hmm. and I spent 16 years with them. So my connection with radio was a little a little bit of a different angle at that point. Um, but I was doing marketing for the software company. I wasn't consulting radio stations on how to use selector or software or whatever. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I did there, which was very exciting, was uh, help design software. Um, and that was, I have a design uh, patent on the their current uh, automation system. And there's three of us that designed that, designed the look and the, and the feel wow. of that. So that was very, very interesting because many times, you know, when you sit around and you are using a software program and you say, oh, that's damn program, I wish it did this, I wish right. it did that. Well, <laughs> when you design it, you can actually say, okay, let's do that. And you can also find all the the flaws and mistakes that programmers make, that computer programmers make, mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, really? They would do that? Yeah, don't put a little button on there where you can delete the song. Because <laughs> the yeah. DJ will delete the song. Do yeah, they? Right. Do they, like, bypass what a program director, music director sets up? They yeah, do? Sometimes they do. They sometimes do. Yes. Wacko TV, was that right after the software or before? Oh, no, that was during because okay. I, one of the great things about that is it taught me how to use YouTube and the Internet. And I had to learn how to do videos and uh, wow. how to edit video, which I it's kind of like a return to where I was. Yeah. At Mr. Rogers neighborhood, I might have to take out a chunk of film and bring it together. But but you would take the film and you would put acid glue. It's the same thing with with audio. And mm-hmm. then eventually doing that with video was really um, sort of like a continuation. But um, I mean, when you're working 12 hours to do a, a comedy video and to do all the production, you get it up there and you get 150 people watching it. You're like, what What was this all about? Which do you like better, audio or video? They're the same to me. Okay. I, I mean, I don't, I, I see the human voice as being a wonderful instrument. And I also see the, the eye um, as a wonderful camera. They're, they're the camera. I mean, when I had my uh, cataract surgery, I thought, man, seeing isn't so great. And then I got these super HD lenses in, mm. and I, I am 20-20, like I can see like half a mile. But the problem is that new HD lenses, uh, they didn't come with HBO. I still have to pay for that. Oh, right. so really I, you know, I knew this was coming, that you would start with mm-hmm. that. After Wacko TV, and you've done this software, the books start. And the one book, I'm going to go back one book before the one we'll talk about in a minute, um, How to Hire Great People. Mm-hmm. What made you think about writing a book like that? What was your reason for writing it? 
Well, I think that when you when you finally retire, um, you make a decision. You either just sit around and watch alligators or you say to yourself, <laughs> can I do something that's uh, a continuation of whatever it is you, d you do? Right. I've always considered myself to be a writer above and beyond anything else. And everything I've done in my life, whether it was radio consulting or whatever, mm -hmm. has always been how do I write this? How do I put this into words so people can understand whether it was a radio promo or it was a memo to a, a program director at a radio station uh, or it was a it was a marketing proposition for software. I would always say to myself, we need the right. We need to really get the, the language down to a point. So then I said to myself, why don't you write something that will help people? <laughs> so that's why I wrote how to hire great people. And I thought, I've got all these little techniques I've used and tricks and tips and templates and things. Why not give that? And so I did. And it was great. And I got it out. It was selling. Everybody was excited about it. I was sending it to all the CEOs and of big companies and, and HR departments and Indeed and all those other people. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit. COVID hit and everything stopped because nobody was interviewing anybody. People weren't even going to work. Yeah. So I didn't mean to write mashed potatoes, cancer, COVID, and comfort food. But as 2020 started, I found out that I had colon cancer. And so I had to do something about it because as the lady, as the nurse said, you need to get that taken out. Uh, she said, needless to say, right before that, I said, why did she say needless to say? Anyway, the day I was to have my resection of my colon, we had to move the operation to a different hospital because two of the people in the operating room at, uh, doctor's hospital in, in Venice, in Sarasota rather, came down with COVID. So this is a crazy thing. And then we're sitting around and COVID hits and I'm recovering from my surgery. The good news is, spoiler alert, they got all the cancer. And now I have a semicolon, which is helping me with my writing because when you do run on sentences, you know, semicolon, you just throw it in there and yes. boom, you can continue that sentence. You so, have a great uh, attitude on life. I'm lucky. I'm yep. very, very lucky yep. because, you know, couple more months later or sooner, you know, I had a pain in my stomach and scotched it and take it away. And uh, they did an endoscopy and they didn't see anything in my stomach. And then they did the colonoscopy and, you know, it left me with the question, why is the endoscopy in your mouth and the colonoscopy up the other way? It should be the other way around. Endo should, you know. Anyway, so, but it, this book is a humorous recollection of 2020 and humorous is in air quotes or quotes. Actually, when you write a book, it's actual quotes. When you're talking about it, you do air quotes, because this is radio, so you can't see me doing the air yes, quotes. I got it. But uh, anyway, uh, it was really like a diary. And uh, yes, it's it's political. And I tell all the pro-Trump people, you will hate this book. But it's there are times when you feel a little bit like, okay, this was like three terrible things happening at once. And the only way we could comfort ourselves is with mashed potatoes. And you know, we ate a lot of really bad food during the COVID. I, now we're just going to be working it off for 2021. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're just right, going to be right. busting out. And did any of um, any radio stories get into the, the book? Actually, most most of the experience in how to hire great people are radio stories because I worked so much in radio. So there are people who will read that book in radio and be, oh my gosh, was that, was that 
David so and so. You didn't use no, names. No, 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 no. Let's put it this way: I, Who wants to sit in, around a table with lawyers, complain about this and complain about that? You, when you write a book, you have to ask yourself the question: Is naming the person relevant, or does it move the story, or does it give it more meaning? Like, for example, in Mashed Potatoes, I talk about Rush Limbaugh. I talk about Rush Limbaugh because I worked with him. So uh, I talked about radio people or TV people who I felt have done some very destructive things to our country, uh, especially during the COVID. And uh, I have no uh, apologies for that. That's for sure. Have you, right. have you thought about writing a book about radio again now that we're oh. back from COVID? Yes. I have a whole list of like 50, 60 book ideas. And they range from a list of, I used uh, Microsoft OneNote in oh, okay. there. And it, it's great because it was designed for college kids to keep attracted to their classes. But I, as soon as I saw it, I said, this is a great planner for a, for a writer on a long-term basis. So hmm. I have folders for each book idea. And I, they, are, they range from something so simplistic as just a title like French Women with Big Feet. I don't know what it means, but someday I'll write a book with that title. Okay, it's inspiring and, you. That's yes, that's your your muse, as yeah, it were. That's right. And so one of the one of the folders says "crazy radio stories," and uh, it's it has a beginning, it has an end, and I know all the stuff that happened in between, and the timeline would be every crazy radio story that I've heard or was that I experienced or was involved in or whatever, and create a character, a fictitious character, mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. quotes, and then weave that whole story from the beginning to the end and so yes that is a book that's that's on the and now that i've mentioned this on this podcast that you know i have to do it now you absolutely the responsibility that you hold in your hands i like that we're here talking about radio so that's part of the whole podcast dwight douglas uh is my guest today a radio consultant and how many other books do you have in mind? Do you have just one, several about radio? I think if I get the crazy radio stories done and it really works, it'll be like what you do to finish it, to finish the, the concept. But I think that it's, it's almost becoming, and I hate to say this because it sounds negative, but it's almost becoming like a cliche of another time. And hmm. I hate when people uh, complain about how bad radio is or somebody says, especially people that are like 60 to 65, they'll sit around and they'll say, like, well, we only listen to the satellite radio now. It's like I'm like, OK, well, that is radio, but you don't really remember the radio like in the old days or whatever. Uh, All news on AM uh, is very popular. And, but the people are also listening to CNN on Sirius XM. They're, they tune into uh, what they want. And uh, there's a lot of variety and a lot of fragmentation. But I think that radio, the way we knew it and the way it gave us pleasure, was diabolically pulled out from under us by the corporate lords. And not that I'm not a capitalist, I'm a capitalist, but I think that the old rule of seven, seven, and seven, you could own seven TV, seven mm -hmm. AM, seven mm -hmm. FM, was, a, was an interesting rule because what it did is it created lots of viewpoints and lots of ownership and lots of 
stuff going on. You can see it in TV today where if Nexstar has 165 TV stations, basically you've got control of 165 markets. And I'm not sure that is totally productive. Uh, all power to them for making money and doing all that. But I think the old days of where you had the owner that had the radio station in the old house in Cincinnati and you had <laughs> yeah. the one owner down here who was a drunk newspaper guy or and you had somebody over here. You had lots of different viewpoints, lots of different uh, stations. And by the way, think about it. They didn't change format as much. That's and true. that is because the people had, had invested so many years in that format that they weren't about to walk away from their country format or their whatever. And I used to tell people all the time, when you go into a battle in a market, if, you want, if you're expecting someone to change format with your new, uh, that, to give your new station a better leg up, mm -hmm. go after the big corporate station. Don't go after the mom and pa owned station mm -hmm. because they will stay in for the format until you die. <laughs> are, are people gonna be able to just adapt to multi-listening? I, I, I have to turn the table on you for a second. Let me ask you this. Is, is a podcast radio? Do you view what you're doing radio? Is that radio? Kinda. I've never been asked that before. Dwight, gosh, put me on. The, let me get my coffee and let me think about it. For Well, I'll tell you the truth. I think it's an intimacy that is missing in some radio stations, having a podcast. That one-on-one. And, -on -one. and the freedom. Yes. The freedom, because one of the things about podcasts is there doesn't seem to be a clock on all the podcasts I've done. <laughs> well, I try to and make you... them 20 or 30 minutes, you know. Right, right. I mean, I could talk all day if I had to, but like, but. For uh... sure. I think the, it's like definitions, like people are hung up right now in Washington over the definition of infrastructure. And I laugh because why, why can't you see a broader view of things? And when radio people put down podcasts, I always say to them, don't you see the wider aspect of this? And that is mm. that there's a lot of radio people and entertainment people and good interviewers that want to be able to use their craft, which is their radio bound craft of interviewing people on microphones. Mm -hmm. uh, so Yes, in a sense, radio is ra you know radiation going out, and you captured the radiation, and it turned into sound, and mm -hmm. that's what it was. So, I mean, you're taking the internet, and the internet is your transmitter. All these different things that are going on with podcasts in the world today, uh, they are valuable. Now, I don't know how people monetize them because I'm not into the business thinking aspect of that, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. we should always use every possible technology to do whatever the next thing is, whatever the best thing is. The future of podcasting, what do you see? Well, I think the fact that people have the ability for very little money actually to do a high quality talk show on the internet and deliver it to tons of people who don't, who don't have to have appointment listening, they can listen to it whenever they want, that's a fabulous thing. That's a wonderful new way of communicating. So. That would be like, I mean, my gripe is more with, I wish younger people would read more. I wish yeah. our generation would read. Yeah. How I, many books do you read a year? Me? Well, if I didn't write books, I would read more books. But in every one of my books in the back, um, and I do this on purpose, because everything I do has a purpose. I have a page in every one of my books that says, books that influence this work. There's a selfish reason I do that. One is 
for me to look back and say, oh yeah, those are all the books you read that year that you were writing the book. On the other side of the coin, it's selfish because if, if I mention something sort of in the book, I want to make sure that they don't say like, yeah, you didn't give me credit. No, no, I gave him credit in oh, the back. Yeah. You can see the credit. Right. So, How do you write? What do you do first? Do you just collect a lot of notes, a lot of data? Do you outline? I know you told me this. That's a very good question, Donna. Um, It depends on the book. Okay, like the How to Hire Great People was really buckle down, Douglas, and write an outline and and consider all the different things that you want to put in there because you want this to be a little bit more of a scholarly work, a little bit of a, you know, a real good how-to kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I suggest for anyone who writes, who wants to write a book, the main thing is if you're going to write anything, sit down and write out an outline. Write down everything that you think you're going to write in the book because mm, uh, this freelance stuff that I've done is I'm lucky and I'm loquacious and, and all that crap. But I have to say that um, when you're doing this for the first time, uh, and, and by the way, these aren't my first books that I've written. Mm-hmm. I've right. written four or five other books that will never see the light of day. I mean, I think they were kind of neat, but they were not uh, ready for prime time. Well, I am so. glad that you are feeling better because you sound good. And I'm really looking forward to your other radio books. Well, they're on the way, Donna. As we, as you speak, I'm thinking about them. I bet. Thanks so much. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.